Today's podcast is sponsored by the people at Aura.com. Now, Aura offers identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all in one easy-to-use app. This means that if your online accounts or passwords are leaked online, you'll be alerted quickly, which means that you can be secure from hackers, scammers, and noisy advertising companies. The narcissists are everywhere. Literally, a friend of mine signed up and Aura found his passwords nine times on the dark web. So go to Aura.com slash Dr. Carter. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash D-R Carter. And use my link and you'll receive a free 14-day trial. And if you continue, then you'll be able to save an additional 40% off all plans. So thanks to the people at Aura.com for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the Surviving Narcissism Podcast. I'm Michelle, the Program Director, and I would like to start this episode with a quick introduction. For those of you not familiar with Surviving Narcissism, it is the product of many years of work done by Dr. Les Carter. Dr. Carter is a best-selling author and therapist with more than 40 years of experience specializing in anger management and narcissistic personality disorder. This week, Dr. C's topic is Healing from Narcissistic Abuse, featuring Dr. Ingrid Clayton. Hello, Team Healthy, and I'm so pleased to be with you here again today. We have a special guest that I am so excited to talk with. Uh, Our guest today is Dr. Ingrid Clayton from the Los Angeles area. Ingrid is a clinical psychologist, has her PhD. She's an author. And Ingrid, I'd just like to first say thank you for joining me on this podcast. I'm so grateful to be here. Great to meet you. Thanks for having me, Les. So so you are in a private practice there in L.A., right? That's correct, yes. And you've done a lot of work in recovery uh, type uh, uh, in that realm and all as well, so... Yeah, worked a lot in addiction for many years and then uh, really came into focusing on trauma. Okay. And I'd say that's more of my primary focus now, but they definitely go hand in hand. So, okay. So, uh, let's get some exciting news out here. First, you've already authored one book called Recovering Spirituality, and it's all about emotional sobriety. And, and uh, your writing in that is fabulous. Thank and you. then uh, you have an, another book coming up. Uh, why don't you tell me about it? It's uh, it's uh, t- tell us about the name of this book. Well, it's very different from my first book. My first book was based on my dissertation. It's done in research. Uh, this is a memoir, and it's called "Believing Me: Healing from Narcissistic Abuse and Complex Trauma." And to be perfectly honest, it was not a book that I had any intentions of writing, uh, but it wanted to be written and. Now that it's done, I can say it's the most healing and helpful thing I've ever done for myself. I'm I'm really glad to be sharing my personal story as a clinical psychologist who has experience with all of these things. You know, uh, sometimes people forget those of us who are in the therapy profession. We're we're humans too, right? That's right. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the way I put it is, I'm just a fellow sojourner. That's right. That's right. And, yeah, I, I love it when people are able to say, you know, I'm, I'm talking with you, not just out of a textbook, but I'm talking about you uh, with you 
having gone through life myself. So the, the name of that book is um, Believing Me, Healing from Narcissistic Abuse. Uh, let, let's get a little bit of your background here first. Uh, sure. how, how did you actually go into the field of psychology? And then specifically, how did you get to where you started focusing on the topic of narcissism? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think the root to both are the same. And so, you know, as any good adult child of an alcoholic, I grew up sort of very much interested in what is happening and why is it happening and orienting to try to figure things out. And, um, you know, that quizzical kid. Very, very. I was very analytical. Um, I was just constantly serving the lay of the land and trying to figure out how to best navigate things and uh, deeply sensitive and emotional. And so, you know, like a lot of us, I was the friend that that uh, you would call if you were having a hard time. Right. Um, and eventually that that led to going to school for for psychology. And, um, you know, I got sober in uh, along the way and I had to really challenge these ideas that I wasn't smart enough to go back to school, that I wasn't capable um, but ultimately I did. And fast forward many years later, um, I'm working in the addiction field. I'm working as a trauma therapist. So I've done extensive training in trauma and I didn't know this. And if I'm a trauma therapist and a clinical psychologist who didn't know that I have what is really classic complex PTSD, okay. when I understood that and could finally claim it, I thought how many people are walking around similar to me with the effects of <clears throat> narcissistic abuse, which is grounded in gaslighting, manipulation, twisting our realities to such a degree that I literally could not see the through line for myself. And so when I started <laughs> slowly and painfully to connect those dots, it just felt so important to me to say, I need to show people what this actually looks like, um, not just a clinical representation of it, but my actual story. Um, so that's how I ultimately, you know, I, when I sort of woke up to the fact after my my stepfather is the narcissist in my life, he passed away um, just over five years ago. And it was maybe nine months later that I was literally woken up night after night. It would be like three in the morning, two in the morning possessed with these stories that I had to tell. I had to walk out to my it kitchen. Just triggered table. all these different memories yeah. is what you're saying? Memories that yeah. were fully intact. They were yeah. just, it's like they were waiting for me to claim them once again as my own. And I thought, what am I doing? What am I writing? Is this some journal situation? Is it, am I writing about being a flawed therapist? Because it wasn't just about childhood memories. What I know now is it was all of my trauma responses and the ways that my trauma impacted me. And I lived with the result of this narcissistic abuse for 30 years. You know, um, my first marriage just, just and divorce. An, aside, a, uh, yeah. uh, an impactful book that I read quite a number of years ago now is uh, uh, by Father Henry Nowen, uh, The Wounded Healer. Are you oh, with that book? Yes. And uh, just the title alone, uh, oh. just like, okay, <laughs> A, we're starting with an attitude of honesty. That's and right. it's out of our own wounds, then uh, we can actually uh, work on healing ourselves, but then we can pass along and work alongside with 
uh, that's those right. who are also in that uh, in that mindset and on that path. So that's, that's, that's kind of what I'm hearing you say is where you've been. That's where I've been. I can confidently say that's where I've been and and that this was a calling. It I did not want to be the face of childhood trauma. You know, it's like, oh, that sounds like a <laughs> great plan. I'm going to go, you know, drudge up all of this stuff. But I, it's like the book was pulling me to clarity. Okay. And then as I got more clarity, I realized uh, the importance of sharing the truth that was there. And so that's what this current book is. It's coming out September okay. 6th is the release date. Well, let's let's talk about that term trauma bonding. Mm -hmm. Trauma uh, bonding. Mm -hmm. Yes. When, when you talk about trauma bonding and you mentioned yeah. the PTS that can uh, go along in the aftermath. Uh, yeah. What do we mean by trauma bonding? So, yeah, so it's a it's a big question. Um, trauma bonding is a chemical. It's a hormonal connection to another person that is based in two things. One is intermittent reinforcement. And so a lot of people will associate that with gambling, right? So this Vegas is built on the, the psychological concept of intermittent reinforcement. And that is when I sit down to a slot machine, I'm gonna put all, dump all my money in and I'm getting nothing, I'm getting nothing. I would not stay if there wasn't this potential reward. And it's not just a little reward. It's the idea that you're going to get the payout, right? And so trauma bonding is relationally based on this idea of intermittent reinforcement, where in my case, I'll put it in relationship to my stepfather growing up. So I was mostly given the silent treatment a lot of the time. And I was singled out in getting the silent treatment. So I would see him. Which connect. is its own form of gaslighting. You mean that's right. that, Yeah. Yes, that's right. <clears throat> so I would see him give attention and praise to my brother and my stepbrother, but he wouldn't even turn to say good morning, right? So here's the like getting nothing portion of the intermittent <laughs> reinforcement. Mm -hmm. But then something would switch and he would decide that he's going to give me everything. It's the jackpot now. And he was doing this because I now know he was grooming me to be a girlfriend. But what it felt like at the time as a kid who just wants to be seen and to have a voice, suddenly I'm getting really expensive gifts and memberships to clubs that my friends' families are a part of, right? And so I was literally wired for trauma bonding in my childhood. And what starts to happen is we can confuse this with love. Right. And confuse it that this cycle is actually love. And, and the second component, which I didn't mention, is the power differential. So there's intermittent reinforcement, but there's also this power differential where in my case talking about a parent you know they often with partners even they use like financial abuse and these other ways to have power over right mm -hmm. they can isolate you take you away from friends and family so the combination of these two things can create this powerful need it's why it's so hard to leave these toxic relationships right because we are chemically wired to stay in the abuse with this sense that if I just hang in there a little bit longer, my abuser's the one who saves me, 
right? And it's important for people to, to understand that word intermittent as yeah. opposed to constant. Uh, you know, when you right. have that very predictable reinforcement, then you just kind of, okay, that's my deal. That's uh, right. But when we talk about intermittent, it's like, well, maybe this is not going to be the time, but how about this one? Or maybe if I do this, but no, oh, that didn't work. Well, what about next time? And so I'm it just kind of keeps you in that guessing game. And then you right. wind up with your confusion and all that goes along with that. And that's and the power that, of the intermittent. That's the, it's everything. And narcissists <laughs> classically exploit this type of conditioning, right. this intermittent exactly. enforcement. And in terms of the survivor, what I came to understand from a nervous system perspective is that our long-term memory shuts down when we're in these toxic cycles. All we are concerned with is survival because that's, we're wired for survival. So when the abuser is the person that rescues us, that's the only thing that our body cares about. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how much you know and understand, we are wired for survival. And now we're in this position where the abuser is our rescuer. And it starts the cycle all over again. And that's that's such a clear way to put it, too. And, and you know, when you hear it that way, the abuser becomes the rescuer. It's like, well, wait a minute. Uh, they can't coexist uh, in the same person. It's like, right. It's part of the gaslighting. It's part of the manipulation. It's part of the exploitation. It's part of their control tactic. And uh, it's not rescuing at all. It's just keeping you in the game. That's uh, right. So that's right. which is fascinating to look at. So. Now, you've mentioned that um, uh, in, in your writing that mm -hmm. there are various reactions mm -hmm. uh, that a person can have when they're exposed to this kind of uh, trauma bonding and all of the, re uh, the intermittent reinforcement that a person is exposed to. So what, what are the, you, you mentioned the four different ways. Uh, oh, four right. Fs. Yeah. What yeah, are the ways so, that people might respond when they're exposed to this? Yeah. So part of the reason that I'm looking at narcissistic abuse in the lens of trauma is that it allowed me to finally make sense to myself, okay? So when we look at our physical bodies, our nervous system being wired for survival, um, we have four trauma responses. And a lot of people have heard have fight, fight, flight, and freeze. But there's a fourth one that's particularly related to those that identify with okay. narcissistic abuse, and it's called fawning, okay? okay? So we yeah, know- fight. Uh, fight, flight, and freeze, freeze. And then what you're saying is fawning. Fawning. Okay. And so fight on a healthy end is assertiveness and having a voice on a more maladaptive or unhealthy end. It's, you know, uh, it's abuse. It's, it's violence. Um, flight is literally, it's when we flee a situation. It allows us to run. Here. Super helpful, right? Yeah. Um, it also presents though on the maladaptive side as, anything to keep us in perpetual motion. It's like mm -hmm. overworking, overdoing, perfectionism, addictions, they all fall in that uh, category. Then there's freeze, which is like, think of animals playing dead. It's that's the instinct there. Yeah. And, and these are instincts. They're not conscious strategies. They are ways that our body responds without our permission. Now, this is important because we feel so much shame about why do I do what it is that I do? Well, because your body's doing exactly what it was designed to do, which is to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. So there's freeze and, um, yeah, healthy is 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 rest and peace and the 
sort of unhealthy maladaptive response is complete numbing out, you know, classic dissociation. And then there's fawning. On the healthy end of fawning, we can be compassionate. We can be helpful. But on the maladaptive end of things, we are literally abandoning ourselves in service of another. So it is really what we call classic codependency. But I love the language of fawning so much more because it's rooted in this understanding, right? When so often we talk about codependency now, there's it's kind of stigmatized. There's this this yeah. feeling about like, well, why don't you just get some self-respect and set some healthy boundaries? Why don't you just leave? Why don't you just dot, dot, dot? When we look at it from the lens of a trauma response, there is a reason that I prioritized my parents' mood and well-being. And it was because it's what I needed to do to survive that situation. Right. In the fawning stage, it's like, well, what do I have to do to keep them happy? That's right. What, what do I have to do to keep them off my back? And if I say this, will that work? If I don't do that, will that maybe get them in a better mood? And That's exactly right. Yes. And, and uh, Pete Walker is the psychotherapist who coined that term fawning, and he's an expert in complex PTSD, complex trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and from his point of view, he says, we turn to fawning when fight, flight, and freeze have failed us. And that it often arises in these highly toxic dysfunctional family systems where there are things like narcissistic abuse. I'd like for you to be aware of my video courses. One is entitled Ready, Set, Connect. Now, narcissists are quite capable of throwing you off balance, so this course keeps you focused on the skills and the mindset that are necessary for positive connections. And inside the course, uh, we have various modules, that, and in, inside each module are uh, lessons, and each lesson contains a video, uh, written documents, and then questions that go along with it. We'll discuss things like how to have good conflict resolution skills, building empathy, how to be the authentic self that you need to be. If you're interested in enrolling, you can go to our uh, website, survivingnarcissism.tv, click the link for courses. You'll find Ready, Set, Connect there as well as the others. I hope that you would find them to be quite helpful. And now back to Surviving Narcissism with Dr. Carter. And so when we look at fawning too, we can see how trauma bonding, we have these, the components are right there, right? There's someone who wants to exploit and there's someone who is figuring out how to navigate being exploited because safety is found in the face of exploitation. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, as soon as you said that, it's like, oh, well stated. Yes, it makes sense. Can you give us a, a good example? Let's say let's say you're a 16 year old kid. Yeah. And you have this scenario at home where there's an intermittent reinforcement, and you yeah. are in that fawning uh, phase. What yeah. what would be an illustration of how that might play out? You mean of what it looks like? Yeah, exactly. Um. Well, I'll 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 tell you from personal experience. I learned that you do not push back. You, you don't say when you're sitting in a car being ignored with the silent treatment for months on end, hey, why are you giving me the silent treatment, right? That'd be the healthy fight response. 
I, I was whittled down to where it's like you have no other choices. You do not exist in this relationship except for how you serve the exploiter, the, the abuser. So it's such a lack of sense of self um, that that it's you lose contact with with the whole with your whole being right which also goes hand in hand with the gaslighting it's telling you that you're wrong and you're selfish and you're you know whatever it is that that you're being told it i don't know if that answers your oh, question yeah ingrid uh, when you talk about this uh, other words or terms come to mind like people pleasing enmeshment mm -hmm. enabling yes. Yes. Uh, you, you've, when you say I, you lost yourself, it's almost as though you never had the permission to find yourself in the first place. That's exactly right. And all of those terms fit exactly in the fawning response umbrella. Okay. Pleasing. Yes. Ameshment. All of them. Mm -hmm. Well, and then also uh, in classic codependency, uh, that you're, you're so much in that uh, reactor mode. You play off of me. I play off of you. We've got this game going back and forth. That's and right. uh, on the uh, the narcissist side, you mentioned that their their game is exploitation. That's uh, right. You know, give me my narcissistic supply. Make me feel like I'm powerful. Make me feel like I'm a somebody. It goes. Uh, I I, I, I want to sometimes just look at that person that's that highly narcissistic person exploiting a kid or a, a spouse yeah. or a coworker. It's like, well, congratulations, you win. No. I know, I know. Win? It's so heartbreaking, but what's even yeah. more heartbreaking to me, and it makes me emotional thinking about it, is that what that created in me as a kid, when it flipped from the silent treatment to feeling like I cracked the code, I figured out how to get him to change his mind about me, and now he's giving me whatever I want, right. I legitimately felt powerful. I didn't, I couldn't. But for all the it. wrong reasons. For all the wrong reasons, exactly. Yeah. But you understand why it's doing something in me, in the survivor that is also perpetuating this experience because that feeling like you're that powerful is pretty extraordinary. It's right. also why it can be confused with love because it's this overwhelming feeling that Quite frankly, you don't have in a healthy, attached, you know, peer relationship. And so we subconsciously, most of us, these trauma survivors who grew up in these environments, we subconsciously go out and we reenact this over and over and over again. And so I'd like to tell you that I got sober when I was 21 and I went back to school and I got a master's in psychology and then I got a PhD and all of that less. It saved me from <laughs> decades of toxic relationships, but the truth is it did not. Yeah. Because I, I was subconsciously reenacting this trauma over and over again. I couldn't see the red flags. I, I was going to therapy. I'm saying to my therapist, like, can I not have a healthy relationship? What is wrong with me? And because they didn't understand trauma, mm -hmm. they couldn't help me see it as reenactment. They couldn't give me the tools that could actually help me regulate my nervous system, form healthy attachments. And that's the other reason why it's so important to have these conversations because people are going to therapists or asking for help from people who 
don't have the tools to help them. And then guess what happens? We go, well, now I must really be broken. Yeah, exactly. Uh, an analogy I like to use is uh, you, you, you put trash in your kitchen in the trash sack and then nobody takes the trash out. <laughs> and then you keep putting more trash in there and still nobody, right. then you wind up with this stench. That's and right. uh, it, it's kind of a gross way of saying it. It's like, yeah, I, got, I have the stench on the inside of me now and I, I've never taken my trash out. Yes. And, and so I guess when we think, okay, so you're holding all of this in, it gives you this pseudo power, but ultimately you're not fully you uh, in doing right. it because you're still playing the game. Right. Um, we hear terms like boundaries mm -hmm. and assertiveness. Mm -hmm. And, and of course that's so necessary for people to learn that. And it's, and just uh, finding yourself, I refer to what, uh, what I call uh, the higher priorities. You, you learn to have your own higher priorities that are bigger than what uh, mm -hmm. that person in front of you uh, is offering to you. Yeah. So speak to us a little bit about that in terms of how you can come to the place of, of getting out of that cycle yeah, and getting into more of that standing up for who you are. What, what's, what's required for that to happen? Yeah. Well, I wish what was required was a magic wand that I could <laughs> give to everyone Yeah, that allowed us to jump over all of the feelings that we have to feel because in truth, in order to connect those dots and to have healthy boundaries to be assertive, to have healthy relationships. What I had to do is I had to stop waiting for everyone else in my life to see just how worthy I was. I had to stop waiting for my stepdad to apologize. I had to stop waiting for my mom to say sorry for telling me that I made it all up, that it wasn't really happening, right? I privileged another act of fawning Everyone else's, uh, just their process over my own. And, and it came from a very altruistic place. I was like, I don't want to steamroll over these people. Like that feels so unkind. Boundaries felt mean. I was being patient. I was being hopeful. I was giving everybody the benefit of the doubt. And when my stepdad died and I saw that there's no closure happening here, no one's going to give me permission. It, start, it planted the seed of even just writing my story for myself to give myself enough permission to go out to my kitchen table at three in the morning and say, this is my truth. This not only happened, but this is how it impacted me for decades and I deserve to heal no matter what. And I believe we have to prioritize our healing over everything. Uh, Ingrid, yeah. I, uh, the way I got into the my emphasis on narcissism is uh, I started out early in my career doing a lot of anger management workshops oh, and I've yeah, written on the topic mm -hmm. and all. And um, uh, one of the things that I found was that uh, you know, uh, when I would talk to people about the whole necessity for assertiveness, people would, uh, you know, they think, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to be assertive. I'm going to stand yeah. up for myself. Yeah. And then they'd come back in a week or two and they'd say, well, I tried that assertive stuff and it didn't work. Right. And what they meant was I was unable to make that other person appreciate Same. what I was trying to say. That's right. And, and then my comeback would be, well, what if we don't have to have their approval? 
Yes. What if you just decide it worked because I stood up for myself, period? Yes. That's what I'm hearing you say. I'm saying it, but I don't want to sugarcoat it because the reality underneath that is that I have had to feel 30 years of grief. Yes. What I never got and how that impacted me. I have had to unpack 30 years of such toxic shame, really looking at how I believed I wasn't good enough and that I was stupid or whatever the things were. What and and I and key relationships that I never thought would change, I had to change them in big ways. And it's a big loss. It's a huge loss. And so some people say that trauma healing hurts more than the original wound. And I think that that's true. Yeah. I think that that's true, but I still think it's worth it because what it gives us on the other side is I am getting to know myself and honor myself in ways that I have never been able to do before. And you know what? This will make me a little bit teary. I'm a mom and I have a little boy who just turned seven. Okay. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do to break the chain right. of generational trauma so that he doesn't have to unpack this stuff 30 years from now. And if that's not worth it, I don't know what is. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're very passionate about what you're saying and it comes through and, and to top it off, I think you're just so spot on. Thank uh, you. When you say uh, uh, it's worth it, uh, yeah. What I like to do is take that impersonal pronoun and replace it with a personal pronoun. I'm worth it. I'm worth it. That's right. Yeah. And you have to reorient your thinking there, don't you? Yes. The, the working title of my book for many years was maybe it wasn't that bad because that's <laughs> the place that I lived. Where you're bargaining with yourself. Yes. Maybe yeah. it wasn't that bad. And that's what people can identify with. But when I got to the end of the book, when I really integrated the healing that had to happen to write this thing and to have a voice, I realized that title doesn't hold the healing. The healing is, I believe me, my story is worth telling. I have value. And that is what I hope people will feel when they read it is that they can believe themselves. They have value. They're worth it. Ingrid Clayton, I, I am so pleased that I've had this opportunity, the privilege to interview you. Uh, the book is, is once again, uh, uh, Believing Me, Healing from Narcissistic Abuse. And uh, it, clearly you've, you've done so much work in yourself and we're all a work in progress. By the way, I tell folks all the time, your best thinking doesn't even begin to happen until you at least hit 40. Uh, you yeah, kind of have yeah. to have some of that, you know, a couple of decades of the adult way of thinking anyway. And then the, the, the deeper you go, and like you say, then you have people that are behind you and the generation behind that are mm. looking at you and they're, uh, you're wanting to bring them the, uh, the uh, capabilities that were not afforded to you and uh, the patterns That's that were right. not afforded to you. Yes. Uh, it's an ongoing thing. And it's a, and a healing can be a generational effort. Is what That's I'm right. To say I think too. it is. And healing, there is no finish line either. I'm very well aware that I'm going to be on this road until the day that I die. And, um, I think that's important for people to know too. It's not like, Oh, you thank goodness well, I did that work. You know? Another thing I like to say, uh, finding perfection is not the goal. That's right. The journey itself is the goal. That's and right. That's what you're saying. So 
Right. Ingrid, thank you so much for taking mm -hmm. the time out of your busy schedule to be with us here on our Surviving Narcissism podcast. Uh, we call ourselves Team Healthy here, and you're helping us along with that effort. So, I love it. I'm grateful for the work that you're doing. It's so important to have this language so that we can put our experiences in context. And I'm so grateful for the work you've done and to get to to join you on it today. Well, thank you. And uh, we'll we'll have links and all to, uh, for uh, people to know how to get in touch with you with your website right. and all the rest. So. Once again, uh, Ingrid Clayton, thank you for being with us. And uh, hopefully this won't be the last time I'll have the chance to chat with you about this. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Surviving Narcissism. We are glad to have you on Team Healthy.